on the phone with orthopedic physicians, I'm starting to see kind of a drip effect, just not seeing the full blown everybody, but lots of physicians are looking or they're not happy they'll move. Welcome to the Growing a Successful Orthopedic Practice podcast. Join us every episode to hear from fellow medical practice administrators, staff, and physicians as we break down current issues affecting the industry and share real stories from guests on their way to growing a successful orthopedic practice. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Growing a Successful Orthopedic Practice podcast. I'm your host, Keith Landry, and this episode is sponsored by Ortho Live. So let's get right into it. Today, we're talking about recruiting orthopedic physicians. And maybe you're that orthopedic physician who's been hunkering down in place during the pandemic, and you're thinking, hmm, might be time for me to make my move. We're going to talk about that today as well. So tips on recruiting and maybe from the other side of the equation for the physician himself or herself landing the dream job. And we found just the gentleman to get this done for us today on the podcast, talking with Kiri Ion. Anu, who's a senior consultant in the orthopedics division with Enterprise Medical Recruiting. Thanks for being with us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, Kerry, let me give folks a little background on where you've been, what you've done, and why you're on the other side of the microphone today. Kerry started his career in sales with Barclays Bank in London and later received a master's degree in sports therapy. So that focus on sports therapy is especially useful for him when he's talking with orthopedic physicians. He's got 10 years experience in the healthcare industry, worked the last five years in physician recruitment, and has successfully worked with corporate health systems, community networks, and even those small private practices. So a little something for everyone today. Thanks again for being here. I'm glad to be here. Can't All wait. right, let's get into it. How long have you been working in the medical recruiting field? So like the bio said, the last five years, just as most recruiters do, we just kind of fall into it or happen by it. It was just putting the sales background and the healthcare background together is really, really what it is. Wow. Great field too for the future. Now, when it comes to orthopedic practices, recruiting orthopedic physicians, what are you seeing right now in early 2021? What are the trends you're observing that you can share with our audience? Well, I guess the first thing is we're seeing orthopedics open up. I had a Becker's article probably last month, maybe the month before. So orthopedics were, I think, the top three hit specialties within the States, as you can imagine, with electives being kind of shut down. So early 2021 trends, definitely seeing orthopedics open back up. If we kind of dive into that a little bit more, seeing a lot more of the Midwest and Southeast start their recruiting processes or earlier, the Northeast, I say dragging behind loosely, but their restrictions were a lot tighter. They had a lot of outward migration, which I'm sure has hurt them. And the same goes for certain states in the West. The other thing I'd say that I've been seeing, places that maybe were more difficult to recruit to, and I'll I'll give you an example, are no longer having trouble recruiting. So an example that I came across, Boise, which is one of the most livable states in the US, a lot of Californians have gone to Boise, which their population has just exploded. And I called after a practice there and, and the internal recruiter there told me that he had 30 applications on his desk, which I'm sure he's he's spoiled for riches now. You know, it's funny, Kiri, many years ago, I lived in Boise, Idaho for a couple of years ago, a couple of years, and the most popular bumper sticker on the car of Idaho residents in Boise was don't Californicate Idaho. Oh, well, they're, uh, so they're they definitely going through that small path. and simple. They didn't want those Cali folks moving in, but it's interesting to know that's been going on for 20 years now. So, all right, <laughs> skipping ahead to the next thing, I want to get some insight 
insights on for our audience. Yeah. COVID-19 pandemic obviously affected hiring in every sector, every field in the American economy. Mm -hmm. What have you observed about how the pandemic affected hiring trends in the orthopedics field and where we are now on that? How has the pandemic affected that? Well, the biggest thing is every year you're going to have your graduating classes, your residents and your fellows. So they are all, when they're coming to the end of their terms, they're mobile. What is not as prevalent is your experienced doctors. They are kind of sitting down, waiting to see where things go. They'd rather stick with what they know than go somewhere else, whether it's culturally or professionally, uprooting themselves, their families, and just going somewhere. So a lot of them are kind of staying where they're, again, starting to see some upward trends in mobilization, but not anywhere near the levels it would normally expect. And with physicians not moving as much, obviously there aren't as many jobs opening. That cycle just isn't turning over. So that's on the phone with orthopedic physicians. I'm starting to see kind of a drip effect, just not seeing the full blown everybody, but lots of physicians are looking or they're not happy they'll move. So maybe by the second half of the year, as more people are immunized with the vaccination and the economy starts to open back up a little more, maybe we'll see some more movement on that front. One would hope so. One would hope so from a recruiting perspective. Yeah. All right. Let's switch gears just a little bit here. When you're helping a medical group recruit a top orthopedic physician, what are the qualities they usually mention to you in those initial phone calls while you're trying to help them identify their need? Yeah, so that's kind of a unique question. It's really practice specific. Different practices run differently. There's the typical board certification, whether or not they want a specialist orthopod, whether it's sports, spine, hand, foot, and ankle, what have you. But beyond that, it really goes down to the culture and the work ethic of the practice. Some practices may be a little bit more focus on quality of life. That's the culture that they've ingrained into the practice. Others may be a little bit more work heavy. You know, they, forgive me for using the term and I hope I don't offend anybody, but they're kind of a turn and burn kind of practice. They're really go-getters. Maybe that's the correct word. So they want to maximize their volumes. They want to maximize their efficiency. They want to maximize their surgeries. So they may be pushing for higher numbers of surgical cases per annum, whereas more quality of life focused practices are more focused on, well, we want to spend time with our family. We think we make a good enough living as an orthopod. So we're okay to back off a little bit. And then kind of beyond that, really just the cultural fit. And when I say cultural fit, just personality, what type of person will fit into the practice? If you have a high volume practice, will a person that isn't, will a surgeon who's not looking to really maximize those volumes day in, day out be a fit and vice versa? So, you know, kind of how do you feel? Does it really make, what I always ask, what kind of person are you looking for? And kind of work backwards from there. Awesome. Now, from your perspective, from a recruiter's perspective, is there something different about helping a medical group recruit an orthopedic surgeon compared to other specialties in medicine? Or is it pretty much the same? No, definitely not the same. (laughs) So very details driven. They're very, orthopods are very, they're details driven. They're very volumes driven. So something that I come across quite often, and I had an an example probably a couple weeks ago, whether it's a private group, medium-sized medical group, or even a larger system, is making sure that you have the need. So sometimes you'll have a practice say, you know, we would like a total joint, we would like a foot and ankle, but do you actually have the need to supply that surgeon or that physician? If we are looking at your more specialized surgeons, are they going to be able to solely focus on that? 
give you the example, you're not going to get a lot of hand or upper extremity or foot and ankles wanting to do knee scopes, wanting. So making sure that, that you have the need and you have the data to back it up, unlike family medicine. And I use that just because it's a very easy example or primary care it doesn't have to be family medicine. The devil's in the details that they want to hear that you have the need. They can come in and build a practice, whether it's around that specialty or just build the volumes to make a good living. And following on from that, that actually helps with longevity because if you're giving them numbers on the front end that don't translate on the back end then what we have is turnover in a lot of cases attention orthopedic practices are you looking to develop or improve your work comp business look no further than remote injury care with ortho live ortho live can provide immediate clinical support for job site injuries thus reducing the volume of reportable incidents for employers of all sizes and in your area helping you build your work comp business. In fact, we just completed a case study where one national e-commerce retailer cut workers' compensation claims by 75% for a projected annual savings of over $300,000. Visit ortholive.com podcast to get the case study and find out how our remote injury care program can work for your practice. That's ortholive.com podcast. Yeah. And that, wow, that becomes costly over time and retraining and it does research and all the elements that come with that. That's absolutely right. That's probably the biggest thing is a lot of, you tend to see it more in private practices. They know what it costs because they feel the loss of revenues quicker than, than a larger system, but absolutely right. All right. So let's get to sort of a general 30,000 foot view question here. What is the advice you give to medical practices and how they should best go about recruiting a physician? What sort of the checklist or the main points to consider? Sure. I mean, the first thing that I always ask, getting back to the last point, is why do you have the need? Again, is it that we would just like a total joint surgeon or we absolutely need a total joint surgeon? In recruitment as well, when you want and when you need, you tend to act very differently when there's a candidate in front of you. Again, going back to the lost revenues. Um, so why do we have the need? Can you back up the need? Can you back up the need with data? Again, sometimes we don't have absolute data and that's fine, but you can sometimes tend to get a feel from just speaking with the practice first. Is this a want or is this an absolute need? So are we bringing someone in where we're putting all the expectation on them to build or we're going to give them all the tools to be successful? Again, wants versus needs. Hmm. The need is the biggest one, the, the data. And then again, I go into what type of personality of person are we looking for? Because every surgeon is different, but I hesitate to say potentially you can classify again, you're more quality of life focused versus you're kind of volume driven and there's gray areas. What type of person is going to fit into the practice? And then kind of going on from there, what is globally offered? A lot of times we get the answer straight away, employment versus a private practice. Employment don't actually have the ancillary revenues that are associated with imaging or an ASC. But if you do have ancillary revenues, ancillary incomes, whether it's profit sharing, ASC, incomes, what does that look like? So sometimes groups don't want to be transparent about that. And, and from recruiting, we don't need to know down to the nth degree. But I've been in situations with private groups where 
they only actually own between eight of them, and I'm using as an, an example, but let's say between eight of them, they only own 25% of their surgery center. So getting someone else in, again, it really dilutes the pool. But if you are on the other side and you own 50%, 75%, even 100% of an ASC, that's something that's actually high, very attractive to physicians. So you want to advertise that. And again, what you're doing in advertising, I think this is lost on, on a lot of practices, is we're really just trying to elicit a phone call. We want to speak. It doesn't mean that every person we talk to is going to be a fit for whatever reason. Those are really probably the biggest things. Transparency is another one. Transparency of compensation when taking that larger view. Again, on both sides, private or employed, sometimes they're hesitant to share compensation. Well, in recruiting, typically, and in a lot of cases, if you're hesitant to share compensation, sometimes it gives the wrong impression that the compensation is poor. Again, highlight your top points. If you don't want to get into the compensation, even percentages of MGMA help. You know, that raises a question for me that I hadn't thought of before the podcast. Mm -hmm. When you're getting down to the nitty gritty and you almost have a deal that's done, obviously the compensation is probably question number one, but I imagine there's some other elements that put the agreement over the top versus not. What are some of those? I mean, compensation, maybe ownership in the group, things like that. Yeah. So really we're looking at a couple points there. Yes, your base salary. If it's on the employed side, it tends to be a little bit more of a a hospital or system package. There aren't a lot of differences. And most times you can't actually make a lot of changes to a boilerplate agreement. (laughs) 90, 95% of physicians have all signed the same thing. You You won't have 200 separate contracts. That would be a legal nightmare. But on the employed side, you know, a lot of times making sure that the RVU threshold and the RVU dollar amount equate to the total compensation. Sometimes you'll get practices actually give employed hospitals, I should say, sometimes give a bonus. So you'll actually find that the RVU threshold and the dollar amount don't quite add up to the total compensation, but you're actually getting maybe it could be sometimes a $20,000 boost or whatever it may be. On the private practice side, really, it's so much more open, but you're absolutely right. I mean, looking at how many years are we looking to obtain partnership? What is the transparency of obtaining partnership? Is it that everybody in the group has to agree? You know, if we have eight partners, does every single partner have to agree or is it a majority? And what are the details of that? Yes, percentages, compensation, benefits. This is going to sound maybe a little bit strange, but some private practices, you have to pay for your own malpractice. Now that's becoming less and less prevalent, but reading those details, knowing those details, what is the likelihood or what is the ramp up? Typically it's six to 12 months to ramp up. You're bonusing in year two, but what is the two to five year plan? What does that realistically look like? And then that also gets back to, is this a need or is it a want? Because if it's a need, we should be able to paint a picture in two years, this is what we expect in three years. If it's a one, it starts to look like, well, we hope this is what we hope it looks like. So yeah, just some of the finer details. And I always like to look at it like this. I always call it shared risk. And when you're getting into a contract, if all the risk is on the doctor, they tend to feel a little bit antsy. Mm-hmm. you know, whether there's penalties for compensation, whatever it may be. But if there's a shared risk, well, we're going to put a moderate or sometimes even aggressive financial package together. But in doing this, we expect this. And then there's a shared risk as opposed to low compensation versus we expect you to go out there and do everything. Yeah. And if you look at it from the perspective of the orthopedic physician, he or she is a highly, highly skilled professional Very. who wants to feel welcome where they're going. So 
they don't want all the burden to be on them. All right. right. So, Carrie, let's switch gears just a little bit. Talk about diversity in the workforce. Obviously, a yeah. major push in our country for diversity in many, many companies across many sectors. How are you seeing that reflected in your recruiting picture? And are you seeing a more diverse pool of candidates in 2021 as you work to recruit orthopedic physicians? Or do we still have a long way to go in terms of diversifying that pool of professionals? Yeah, I think culturally, I think the, from, from what I feel, and I, I apologize, I don't necessarily have the data to back this up, but culturally, I, I feel that the orthopedic market is fairly diverse. If we're looking at gender demographics, it's probably a little bit less so. And there may be needs to dig into why going back to whether it's from coming out of med school, what residencies are chosen, but the orthopedic world is very male dominant. I've heard a couple reasons that that's possible. And I don't think it's down to skill set. I've heard that a lot of females don't like the breaking of bones when they, if they're doing a total joint. Now, again, I don't know if that's absolute truth. What I have heard from a surgeon is that it's the orthopedic world is a lot more physically demanding when doing surgeries and you actually have to have the strength. So if we're looking at differences there, then yes, that may be a reason, but overall it is a male dominated specialty. Again, I don't feel that's through exclusionary factors, Mm -hmm. but I would say we would definitely have to look into that. Looking on the other side of it, though, if you are a female orthopedic surgeon, very much more marketable because they're more rare in the field. Females generally like to see female doctors. So if you are a female orthopedic surgeon, a lot of times a patient is researching surgeons within a practice they're naturally going to gravitate towards the female as long as they can meet their surgery needs. Interesting. Okay, let's switch gears just a second. I want to give our audience, most of our listeners on this podcast are either physicians or practice managers. So I want to make sure we uh, get the other side of this ice cream sandwich. Sure. (laughs) So for other people, for physicians, orthopedic physicians who maybe have been sheltering in place, so to speak, during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. they see the sun is coming out, the economy starting to pick up again, and they're starting to think about making their move. Do you help those physicians find the dream job as well? Or is the focus more on the employer? So it depends on, uh, that's a great question. So it depends on what side of the business you're on. So in recruiting, we have two sides of the business. You have a retained side, which is a lot like similar to how you would retain an attorney or an accountant. So in the retained side, you're very much client focused. You're trying to find the dream physician for the client. Now on the contingent side, you're working more more of a physician focus. So we speak to physicians and then we go out and we we market them and, and try to find them I hate to use the word dream. Sometimes it is dream, <laughs> but we try to find them a suitable job or an ideal job based on contingent, let's say on, on their situation. But yes, if we're working on the contingent side, it's more acting almost as a quasi agent. I hate to use the word agent, but it is somewhat like an agent. We speak to a physician, we give their situation, what they're looking for, experience, history, et cetera. And then we're actually working on their behalf. So a lot of times they call in about a specific job and we speak with them about that position. But then we go out and we network in the area and try to find other jobs that are suitable. And like I said, the the retained side of the business is just the opposite. We're very much client focused and we have one job, but multiple candidates. And we're trying to find that fit. The contingent side is just exactly the opposite. 
All right, awesome. What else would you like to add today? I think we've given some great insights on recruiting <laughs> orthopedic physicians. What else do you want yeah. to add? Um, I guess the, the biggest thing that I see within recruiting, it hasn't just been in orthopedics, but the ability to be flexible. And, and I think we we're starting to see more flexibility with a lot more people working remote. So, and be realistic about what you're looking for. So if you're looking for a million dollar job, let's say in Miami within the first two years, the location and the compensation just aren't going to add up. Also with highly competitive areas, you're going to be going into a lot more surgeons, so it's harder to find that role. So just balancing compensation versus location and how quickly you're looking to build with total revenues. That's really what I see a lot of people wanting, you know, downtown Atlanta, a million dollar job. But Me while there's, <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, um, but yeah, just, you know, having that flexibility to really consider what you're looking for and do they match? Because a lot of times what we want and what reality is are, are sometimes different things. But that flexibility, a lot of times you can find a balance in the middle. And those are the jobs that those are the jobs where A, you're going to be happy long term. Volume wise, you're going to fill your books. And then if those two things are taken care of, I would say compensation is going to come. Awesome. Kiri Ayanu with Enterprise Medical Recruiting. Some awesome insights here today. I want to thank you so much for sharing your insights and experience and tips with our audience. And thanks again for being here. Yeah, you're more than welcome. I appreciate it. You bet. It's a wrap on another episode of the Growing a Successful Orthopedic Practice Podcast. I'm Keith Landry. We'll do it again soon. Thanks for listening to the Growing a Successful Orthopedic Practice Podcast please consider pressing subscribe on your podcast player so you never miss a future episode. And if you haven't given us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts already, we ask that you take a spare minute to help us reach and share our medical practice growth stories with peers.